the preaching of God's Word comes from two psalms. That's not a mistake in the bulletin. Uh, we're going to be looking at Psalms 42 and 43, but I'm going to be treating these really as one psalm. There's some evidence to suggest that these were originally composed as, as one psalm uh, for a couple of reasons. You notice that while most psalms in the Bible have what might be called a, a prescript before them, which usually indicates uh, the author of the psalm, uh, what type of psalm it is, and, and how it was used in Israel's worship. Psalm 43 uh, does not have that prescript. It just follows directly after Psalm 42. But what really uh, leads many to think that these was, were originally one psalm is that if you take both psalms together, it's neatly divided into three sections each section ending with this confident refrain that's found in verse 5 and verse 11 of Psalm 42, and then verse 5, the last verse of Psalm 43, the same refrain, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. That confident refrain in God and His care over us really unites these two psalms together. So I'm going to treat them as one psalm tonight, and I'll read them both together. This is God's holy word. Let's listen carefully to it, that the Holy Spirit might apply these words of life to our hearts. Psalm 42, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands His steadfast love. And at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation, and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. 
And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. We'll end the reading of God's word there tonight. Well, as you may have noticed as I read these two psalms, that these psalms belong to a, a very special section of the, the overall book of psalms. There are different types of psalms that belong to different categories in the Psalter. And this particular set of psalms that I just read belong to the lament psalms, also called songs of disorientation. These songs are for when life just doesn't make sense. When we feel greatly perplexed and troubled by our circumstances, when we feel forsaken, forgotten, rejected by God, as we go through periods in our life where we are overwhelmed by fears and anxieties and frustration, that's what these songs, these psalms are for. And you can tell whether something is a lament psalm if, if there is a crying out to the Lord for answers in times of distress. In Psalm 13, for example, the writer cries out, O Lord, how long, how long must I go on suffering the way I do? Will my enemies trouble me and torment me and triumph over me forever? The Psalms of Lament like these two that I just read. They're written for the dark night of the soul. When doubts weigh heavy upon us, uh, when, when tears flow freely, these are the psalms that give us the permission. In fact, they give us the words to use, to cast our cares, to, to lay our burdens openly and honestly upon God. But while lament psalms are mostly sad in tone, most of them do not end in sadness. Most of them end with, with a confident assertion uh, of praise to God, confidence that, that God will vindicate His people in the end, even if they have to go through a short temporary period of suffering. Sadness might last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. That is the theme of the lament Psalms. Joy comes in the morning as we remember God's faithful character, as we, we take a firmer grip upon His enduring promises of His covenant faithful love. Well, tonight we're going to look at Psalm 42 and 43, and, and they're psalms that beckon us to call out to the Lord in trouble as our sovereign God, the God who rules all things, but, but as our personal God, the God who knows our individual needs and struggles. These psalms call us to quiet our souls with the true promises of His Word, and they're promises that are especially received by us as we gather together with God's people for worship. We're going to look together at the lamenting cry uh, that's found in this psalm. We're going to look at the worshipful response to that lament, and then finally, our Savior's intercession. Well, we read in the prescript to Psalm 42 that the inspired writer of this psalm is one of the sons of Korah. 
And uh, if you look at First Chronicles 6 and chapter 26, we, we learn that the sons of Korah had a very important role to play in the temple worship of God. They were the gatekeepers of God's house. They were sometimes serving as the musicians of God's house. This inspired writer, uh, his life was wrapped up in, in the corporate worship of God, the temple worship of God. But this particular son of Korah, as he writes this psalm, is, is lamenting his circumstances. For him, at this moment in his life, God seems very far away. He seems very distant from him. And we quickly learn as we read the psalm that God isn't distant from him just as a feeling or an instinct. This man who writes this psalm is, is literally far away from the presence of God. He's far away from, from the house of the Lord, the dwelling place of God among Israel at the temple. In verse 5b, he indicates that he is, he's far north. He's, he's away from home. He's in the land of Hermon. And even though the land of Hermon was a beautiful place, wonderful views of the mountains surrounding it, still... It could not hold up against the beauty of God's house and the joy of serving in the presence of God. So he's homesick for the temple. Some of you have had to uh, bring your children to, to college away from home. And of course, you've dropped them off at a, at a beautiful place, a lovely campus. All of their needs are going to be provided there while they study. But still, there's nothing like being home. And, and that's what the, the, the writer of this psalm is experiencing a spiritual homesickness for the presence of God, the dwelling place of God, His Savior, the Savior of Israel. So he feels distant from God. But he's not just homesick. He's also being spiritually attacked. He's being taunted. He is being ridiculed by his enemies. He's not just in physical exile away from the house of God. He's in spiritual exile. He's among those who are taunting his faith, and he's crying out to God, as we see in Psalm 43, verse 1, to vindicate him, to protect him, to defend him against his enemies, those who are casting all sorts of accusations against him. He says, vindicate me, O God, defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. He's experiencing significant trial and trouble, and he's lamenting these things while his enemies are posing this very troubling question. Where is your God? Has he forgotten you? Look at verse 10 of Psalm 42. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? His circumstances seem to call the existence of God, the love of God, the faithfulness of God into question. Where is your God? And as his enemies taunt him day after day, he's starting to be tempted to believe that perhaps God has forsaken him. In verse 9, he says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Verse 2 of Psalm 43, you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Not only seems that God is far off, 
doesn't just seem that, that God has forgotten him, perhaps rejected him. It seems even as if God's heavy hand is upon him. Look at verse 7. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers, O God, your waves have gone over me. The rushing waterfalls, the torrential waves of the Lord's hand seem to be behind his trials, leaving him feeling despondent in the midst of his troubles. As we, as we notice the lament of these two psalms, we're reminded of the fact that even the hearts of believers can become downcast. That circumstances in our lives sometimes leave our souls in turmoil within us. Trials beset us sometimes on seemingly every side. Illness, the death of a loved one, concerns about the future, anxieties about whether we can provide for our family or, or whether we will overcome that illness that we are fighting. The temptation of sin, which sometimes seems so strong, so powerful, that we'll never be able to overcome it. The pressure of an unbelieving world that would want nothing more than to destroy the church and, and Christians in it. The false accusations of people we thought at one time were friends. The times in our life when God seems slow in answering our prayers. In times like that, times of trial and, and turmoil and trouble and lament, when, when tears flow freely from our eyes, and we are accused on every side of having a God who has forgotten us and rejected us. In times like that, our songs, our prayers, even as genuine believers, might sound very much like this honest lament of a suffering pilgrim who longs to be back home in the presence of God. But this psalm doesn't leave us in a state of lament, does it? This psalm gives us the cure for our spiritual doldrums, for our lament. Tells us what the antidote is to our lament. And in a word, the psalm says the, 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 the antidote, the cure for our lament is worship. It's worship. Even though he's absent from Jerusalem, even though he's being taunted by his enemies, even though he's covered in the trials of life, all of these things, these things do not drive the writer of the psalm away from God. They fuel his deep desire to be back in the presence of God, his Savior. And he describes his longing to be in the presence of God with his people in worship like the craving, like the thirsting of a deer. A very thirsty deer, a thirsty deer that craves, that's panting for refreshing streams of water to quench its parched throat. Look at the first couple verses of Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? You can tell the, the anxiousness in this writer's heart. He's eager. He's excited. He cannot wait to get back to God's house for worship. 
What kind of worship does he long for? Is he simply looking for a, uh, a mystical experience on the local beach? Is he hoping to meet God on a mountain peak during a, a nature hike? No. His longing is not for, for private worship. He longs for the public worship of God's people. That's where he's going to get his answers. That's where his heart will be calmed. That's where his lament will be eased. Notice what he's longing for here in verse 2 of 42. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Where would he appear before God? At the sanctuary, in the temple. Verse 4, we, he, uh, he's remembering, he's, he's being nostalgic about the things that he misses about God's worship. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng, the congregation. And lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. A multitude keeping festival. What festival? The festival of the Sabbath. Later on here in uh, Psalm 43, uh, verse 3 and 4, he says, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them lead me where? Let them bring me to your holy hill, to Zion to Jerusalem, and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. I will praise you with the lyre. He was very likely a musician in the house of the Lord. Oh God, my God. He says, that is where I need to go to deal with the lament of my soul in the midst of my trial, in the midst of my accusers. I need to go to the courts of God. I need to go before His face in worship with His people. That's the cure. That's the antidote to my lament. That's the impulse of his heart. Worship. I'm afraid that for too many of us, that is not our natural impulse. It is all too common for us in our distress, in our anxiety about the troubles of life, we so often cut ourselves off from the public gathering of the saints in worship. And we make all sorts of excuses about why we just can't make it. It was a tough week. I faced so many difficulties. I'm worn out. I'm tuckered. I just can't make it today. I don't want anybody asking me how I'm doing I don't want them to offer to pray for me. I don't want to have to explain my circumstances. I just want to hide away quietly in a dark place and turn inward. That's sometimes how we deal with our lament and our trouble and sadness. Rather than going to meet with God, with His people, we trade the cure for more of the problem and we don't come. But the psalmist says that public worship is the blessed context in which God's character and His promises are brought to mind once again. It's here where we find the antidote for our distress and our anxieties. And so we have to learn once again, like a, a very thirsty deer, to pant to long to crave after the presence of God in worship, we ought to be asking 
with excited hearts, is it time yet? Is it the day yet that we get to go and meet with God? We ought to mourn and and utterly reject any circumstance that would prevent us from coming here and meeting with Him. There are all sorts of things in life that we could come up with which might give us some measure of comfort in the midst of our trouble and lament. Spending time with friends and family, wonderful activities, good for our bodies and souls. Time away by ourselves for prayer, excellent activity. But none of it, none of it can reach the level of importance and blessing of coming and gathering with the saints and receiving the life-giving word of Jesus Christ. We need to value attendance at worship as a great gift of God, not simply as a burdensome duty, something we have to do. And so I ask you tonight, brothers and sisters, does your soul thirst for God? Does it thirst for the worship of God like a desperate deer pants for streams of water? Do you find yourself impatient for the opportunity to meet with God in His sanctuary and to pay your vows before the Lord in the company of all His saints. God calls you to come. He calls you to come thirsty and weary and burdened and troubled so that you might find rest here. So that when you are parched by the troubles of life, you might be filled with the hope of God which is there for all who know Him and know the salvation of His Son. So come, do not keep yourself from the public gathering of God's people. It is the cure, it is one of the antidotes for your trouble, for your lament. But finally, the most important cure the most important antidote for our life's anxieties and troubles and laments is found in the one about whom this psalm was written, our Lord Jesus Christ. We must not forget that the psalms, like all of Scripture, is a book about Jesus Christ. It's ultimately been written by Him. It is about Him, and it is for Him. It is for His glory. The Psalms are so wonderful in that they reveal to us so much of the life and the ministry of Jesus. The Psalms teach us about the kingship of Jesus Christ. They foretell of His sufferings for you and for me. They reveal to us something of Jesus' inner life as He came to give His life for sinners like us. The Psalms declare the glories of Jesus, the one who is now exalted above all the nations of the earth. And that's why Jesus took the Psalms upon His lips repeatedly as words referring to Himself, to His ministry, as He took up the work of being our intercessor before our Heavenly Father. And so before we conclude our look at this Psalm, we need to ask, how does this Psalm teach me more about my Savior, Jesus Christ? And how does Jesus fulfill this Psalm victoriously So that the lament of my life, the lament expressed in this psalm, does not have the last word if I'm connected to Jesus by faith. And we can see here a number of the ways in which Jesus has victoriously fulfilled the significance of this psalm, the lament of this psalm in His own life and ministry, so that for us, the lament described here can only be temporary. Temporary. 
but not eternal. We notice that in our lives there, there are nights of weeping. The psalmist says in verse 3 of Psalm 42, my tears have been my food day and night. Sometimes we feel that way. Our lives are just filled with grief to the point that it's, it's really all that we are consuming. But in fact, tears may last for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Our tears have an end. And that's because Christ's whole life was characterized by the shedding of tears over the brokenness of this world. He wept at the grave of his friend Lazarus because sin brought death into his world. He wept over the people of Jerusalem because although he wanted to gather them to himself, they would not hear him. They would not receive him. He grieved tremendously in the garden before he gave of his life for our salvation. So great was the burden that he bore. Our weeping can only be temporary because Christ wept and suffered his whole life long for us. We may sometimes bear the, the reproach of those around us. We may feel that uh, those around us are accusing us all day long of following a God who's not there, who cry out against us, where is your God? Has he forgotten you? We may feel that like a deadly wound in our bones, our, our enemies taunt us, calling the goodness of our God into question. But only Christ suffered a real deadly wound in His bones. And though God of all, He was ridiculed and mocked and slain by the very people He created. We will never bear reproach to the extent that Christ bore it for us. We may sometimes feel that the torrents of trouble or of God's frowning providence will, will, will drown us in grief, but only Jesus experienced the full torrent of God's wrath, bearing it as His own so that you and I will never be washed over by the wrath of God. The hand of God's wrath was heavy against Jesus as He suffered and died on the cross of Calvary so that you and I will only experience His hand of kind providence. We may, may feel alone and forgotten during times of trial. We've seen the lament here of the psalmist saying to God, why have you forgotten me? Why have you rejected me? But only Christ, only Christ was truly abandoned by God and man. That's why he prayed the lament songs throughout his ministry. In fact, the, the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 5, in the days of his flesh, during his, his time here on earth, during his ministry, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. On the cross, he cited the words of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he was truly forsaken. He was truly forsaken, truly rejected by his Father for a time so that you and I will never, ever be forsaken 
but raised up, delivered from all of our enemies and all of our troubles. But Jesus is no longer lamenting. He is no longer lamenting, for He reigns right now in the heavenly sanctuary in victory. And He's interceding for you. He's interceding for you so that any trouble you face now can only be temporary. It will be eventually swallowed up by the resurrection and glorification life of Jesus Christ. So, saints of God, counsel your souls. Counsel your souls with the refrain of this psalm. Why are you so troubled? Why are you so glum, my soul? What's the problem? Put your hope in God. Go to the sanctuary. Gather with His people and praise Him once again and remember all that He has done for you through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we confess that in this veil of tears, uh, the song of our life is often a lament. As we come up against the brokenness of this world on account of sin and the brokenness in our own lives, as we face the reproach of unbelievers and even sometimes friends, as we face the trials and anxieties and sadnesses of this life, we do sometimes confess that we feel forgotten, alone, rejected. Sometimes we feel that your hand is heavy against us, and yet we are encouraged to know that that cannot be because you are a God who has provided uh, a Savior, a Savior who came to live a life of tears, a life uh, affected by the brokenness of this world, a life of lament over, this, over sin and its uh, terrible effects upon this good creation. Lord, He came to take upon Himself the reproach of men, to take upon Himself the, the judgment for our sin and guilt, to be condemned, forsaken by You willingly in our place, so that we will never be forsaken. We will never be forgotten. It will, it will be impossible for You, O God, to forget those for whom Your Son has died. And Your promise remains true in our lives, that though we may suffer for a night, joy and restoration and comfort and assurance of Your promises comes with the morning light. And so, Lord, may we comfort our souls in these words. May we, may we put our hope once again in You and make Your worship a priority for our lives, for it is there that we recount Your promises and Your goodness and are encouraged once again to live for you. Bless us tonight. Bless us in this coming week as we go out into the world to serve you. May we hold these promises and the hope of their truth before our eyes at all times, and may our souls truly be comforted. We pray this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.